expressed on the following broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT, Take 12 Radio, or our affiliates. The opinions on this show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice and are those of the host, co-host, and guest. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Entitled to Overcome, Exploring Solutions for Life Today, a presentation of Take 12 Recovery Radio. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dave Fleming and the Monty Man. Three, two, one, sing it, Dave. Overcome. Dave Fleming Don't is in the house. To me. Singing. Singing and sharing, sharing and singing. Welcome to Entitled to Overcome Solutions for Life singing Today. Singing for your supper. Singing for your supper. Yeah. Well, you never know. We may all be doing that soon. Hey. You never know, right? It's all about all right. spreading joy and love, brother. Well, welcome to the show on this episode of the Take 12 Recovery Radio uh, presenting Entitled to Overcome with Dave Fleming, Solutions for Life Today, uh, certified alcohol and crazy person. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, level that's 14. Mr. Vid. Mr. Vid. <laughs> with the topic uh, on this episode, loose lips. Sink. They do. They do. Uh, confidentiality oh. in support groups. That's, that's going <laughs> Is down. Is that the, the bubbles? The bubbles, the bubbles yeah, going down. Uh, Everyone <clears throat> got off the ship. The ship is just sinking. You gotta turn your mic up. No, is that your mic? No, that's not your mic. There is your mic. Okay, there we go. Can so, you hear me now? I can. Good. Well, hey, um, so <clears throat> we like to do a little icebreaker, so I think it's time. We'll just start <laughs> jump right into it. Get a little ticking of the clock here. Come on, clock. There it is. Here we go. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> the dramatic pause before the who knows what. Oh, boy. New Jersey pooper. <laughs> oh, that's the headline? Yeah. Okay. Admits to using a high school football field as his personal toilet. Okay. Well, after days of searching for the mystery pooper who had been doing his business in one of the sports fields at Homedale High School, um, I don't know where that is, but it's called Homedale. It, it may be better if we don't say where it is. <laughs> uh, police finally found their man, Thomas Tramaglini, the superintendent of schools in a district a few towns over. This 42-year-old pleaded guilty in October to defecating in public, and surveillance video had caught him in the act. The case led Tremaglini to resign from his 
$147,500 a year job as superintendent. But his attorney claims his client's runner's diarrhea, a condition that often causes distant runners to have loose bowel movements during and after running, was overblown and that there is no evidence that he was ever a serial pooper. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so why isn't he running I, in his own track, in his own school district? That's what I'm... <laughs> There's got to be more to this story. They're probably punching it up. I don't know. You know how the media is. Yes, I do. We'll just take it and we'll just... Well, evidently, spin. the picture I saw was there was a drone actually flying over that caught him in the act. So be careful what you do. Wow. There are drones a watching, right? Wow. <laughs> All right, we only have one more today. Uh, <laughs> uh, suspected burglar breaks into an escape room, but can't figure out how to get out. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is great. So, for those who don't know what an escape, I can't imagine. Uh, you talking about like a not, panic room or what, you know what? the game? You know, you you go in with a team and you pay a hundred bucks or whatever, and you go into this room, and it, all the rooms have different themes. One that I did with my son on my birthday uh, last year was a uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe theme. Um, and you, you read different clues that lead you to keys that unlock locks to go to the next level. And you go through these different rooms and you have only so much time to actually get to the exit and escape. Okay. So they call it an escape room and it's, it is quite fun. Hmm. Um, but you got to work, it teaches you to work as a team. So especially it's, it's fun to go with a bunch of people you don't know. Yeah. And then you learn how to work as a team and then you get out. Um, or not. Or not. <laughs> so um, it's a fear, uh, this escape thing. It's a fear many uh, have probably thought of at least once while playing those escape room games. What if I actually can't get out of here? <laughs> they do have a panic button, by the way, yeah, that sure. you can hit. Uh, well, uh, how about that happening and getting arrested in the process? Uh, police in Washington say a man who broke into an escape room over the summer damaged the property so badly while trying to escape because he couldn't figure out how to get out. He apparently didn't know how to use the lock on the front door and was stuck. The suspect allegedly called 911 several times from inside the room, admitting his crime <laughs> when the police came in and he was charged for second-degree burglary. This is the time that you got to have, like, video. I'm telling right? you. Can you imagine seeing that guy I, panic? I, this is like... Video and then commentary on the video is be perfect. Oh man, I just—I mean, breaking into a place. Oh lord, and, help us. <laughs> and if you were, it didn't say anything about him being under the influence. But can you imagine being gacked out and trying to get out of there? I—I'm thinking back in my days when I was panicking over things that didn't exist. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Can you imagine when it really did exist? You really can't get out of this room. <laughs> There's a someone on the roof across the street. <laughs> oh, no, I don't believe. Oh, maybe there is. <laughs> oh, okay, so this guy, did he go in there by himself? Evidently. He broke into the place. I don't oh, know what he, he broke in. He the broke place, in, but then he couldn't get out. Okay. 
So probably what happened is he went into one of the rooms and the door shut behind him. He's probably homeless trying to get warm, man. Well he, well, he was trying to get out. That's for sure. You know, but he had a cell phone, evidently, because he called 911. Yeah. I, I've just broken into this building and I can't get out. <laughs> yeah. How humiliating. Can you imagine being a 911 operator, all the interesting oh my gosh. things that they get. Yeah. Yeah. There's a show on TV called 911 right now. Yeah. Where they where they take these calls and, right. st- and stuff. And right. the, the training and stuff they have to go through. It's intense, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think my heart could take it. <laughs> okay, well, that does it for uh, our little icebreaker for this episode. All right, we're going to be re- back with the topic: loose lips, sink ships. Don't go away. Hey, what's the number one resource for addicts and their families? Well, it's in recovery at inrecovery.com. Stay in touch. We invite you to visit their website for daily posts, essays, reported stories, and updates. For the best and brightest of In Recovery, please subscribe to their free email newsletter. Sign up now to receive bi-weekly stories of recovery delivered to your inbox, along with tips and resources for addicts and their families. For the number one resource for addicts and their families, it's In Recovery at InRecovery.com. Hello, this is Dr. Alan Berger, author of 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery. You're listening to Take12Radio.com, featuring recovery talk and positive music. Well, welcome back to to Vid, better known as David. And the Monty Man here on Entitled to Overcome Solutions for Life Today. Uh, the topic on this episode, Loose Lips, Sink Ships, Confidentiality and Support Groups. Uh, but before we talk about that, though, I, I just thought this was interesting, Dave. So um, here's a quote from the Hippocratic Oath, which reads, oh boy. Whatever in connection with my professional service or not in connection with it, I see or hear in the life of men which ought not to be spoken of abroad. I will not divulge as reckoning that all such should be kept secret. Uh, That is from the Hippocratic Oath in reference to uh, basically keeping a confidence. Now, here is a description. I don't know if you call this a description, but... The clinical and counseling uh, psychology, uh, it says the ethical principle of confidentiality requires that information shared by a client with a therapist in the course of treatment is not shared with others. This principle bolsters the therapeutic alliance as it promotes an environment of trust. There are important exceptions to confidentiality, namely where it conflicts with the clinician's duty to warn or duty to protect This includes instances of suicidal behavior, homicidal plans, child abuse, elder abuse, and dependent adult abuse, which is all fine and good. But what about confidentiality outside of medical and inside our 12-step fellowships and our support meetings, right? There there is none. Seems to be that way. I mean, bottom line, there there is none. I mean, obviously the... You know, the motto is, you know, what's said here stays here. You would think that people would 
would get that. Would adhere, but, would adhere to that. But that, that is not the case most times. Well, you know, I think I think most people adhere to that. that, that or I should say much of the time, not yeah. most times. Yeah. So, I mean, that's – it can be very problematic for a lot of people and uh, it probably explains a lot uh, about why – People get stuck on step four. Good right? point. Because they, you know, if you do step four, then obviously the next step in line is step five. And so one, writing stuff down. Right. Now it's on paper. It's on paper. Right. Uh, and you've, you know, you faced it and now you got to go tell somebody. And now the a lot confession's of, out there. And a lot of people will, you know, uh, I think that, that, uh, uh, that whole thing with step five can be confusing. Um, I know for me, what I did is I talked to somebody that's bound by confidentiality. Because, right. Le- legally. Right. Yeah. I mean, that way I'm, uh, if I'm going to step out on a limb and put my right. trust out there, um, that's probably where I'm going to start, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One to get in practice doing it, uh, but knowing that they're bound by law, you know. Yeah. So, but I hear a lot of people talk about they did their fifth step with their sponsor or their, you know, their friend or whatever, which sometimes is also their sponsor. Sure. Um, and. You know, there's a falling out at some point and that maybe things happen unintentionally or people just don't do it. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't have anybody that I can, that I trust to share right. that stuff with right. or they only do part of it. And so then we're left with, like I did the first time is like, I'm, I left out a bunch of stuff intentionally because I was just kind of like, the, mm, the, I don't, the trust factor, even ha- though there. this person is bound by confidentiality. Uh, I still, you know, there's that one thing or that two, those two things that I'm just not ready to put out there. I, and I think most of us at, at some point probably had at least one issue in our life that we believed at some point, if you knew that about me, you would run away. Right. And so that we, we kept that very well protected until we didn't or until we couldn't any longer. Um. Uh, you know, I had an experience where where that happened to me, and then my sponsor revealed some things about him. Uh, he didn't know I was still holding on to something, and that that kind of opened the door for me to be able to talk to him. You know, right, right. but that doesn't always happen with everybody, right? And uh, particularly when in, in today's uh, support meetings and and uh, our relationship with people that we're making ourselves accountable to, and so forth. It it seems there's a there's a lot there's fewer people actually applying and implementing the entire step process going from one through twelve and actually doing that. Yeah, there yeah. there uh, there's a lot of just you know going to meetings and do work, working you know quote unquote working the the, the steps. At the meeting with whatever yeah. topic is going on that day, which the big is, book study or which whatever, which is not really, you know, it's no, it's not really doing the steps. <clears throat> um, so, so I, uh, I had somebody break 
I, I guess you'd call it confidentiality. I, I had shared something in a meeting, and it was early recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I had heard who you see here, what you hear here, let it stay here when you leave here, right. and I was very comforted by that. I, I heard that. Like my first couple meetings, I heard that. And I thought, all right, this is great. You know, I can kind of open up here. And I did. And this is, like I said, this was really this was my first month. Uh, in the program, and it got back to me um, on the street, so to speak. Okay, right. and um, I had I talked to my very first sponsor. Uh, I had talked to him about it, and this is what he told me. He said, "Well, I'll be really honest with you. If you're going to speak it, he says, no criticism here, but it's kind of on you. You chose to speak it." And you're dealing with a whole bunch of people that are not well. There's a good possibility if you speak it in a meeting setting and not with just me or one other person, it's probably going to get out. It just right. probably will. And he, and he wasn't throwing me under the bus or the group under the bus. He was just telling me the truth, yeah. you know. And he says, "So be be careful." Um, who you talk about, and it wasn't my deepest dark secrets by any means, right? Um, but you know, there there's a lot of wisdom in admitting to my to God, myself, and another, or what some may say, one other human being. And so you alluded to the fact that you went to somebody who was bound by legal laws, right. not to mention anything, right? So is the sponsor always? The best guy to tell. Maybe not. He might be great in every aspect, except for he's not closed mouth. Well, and yeah, yeah. There's not any. There's there's not any. Um, uh, there's not any recourse, really. I mean, no. And so that's why a lot of people just, uh, you know, I should. I don't know what the numbers are, but um, I would bet it's more than fifty percent. You know, people right. that are new in recovery uh, tend to skip that over. You know, uh, I work with guys all the time, and in the last two years, I've I've had uh, one guy actually do a, his four step, uh, or you know, with me, right? Uh, in that whole time, yeah. The rest of them just kind of get the information, and they, you know, they, they they do a little bit of work, but they don't actually they don't do a complete thorough the step, right? right? Yeah, or step five, the fifth step. Do you think that's primarily because of fear? Of oh yeah, being transparent. Well, it's it's you, the life experience, you know, of yeah. stepping out in trust and and having that trust broken. Sure. sure, and you know it can start you know all the way back to you know as you're a child in your family, your parents, you know. Yeah, that's where your trust starts. You know, if you you know, there's all kinds of abandonment things that come up, well, that's where you trust, start not trusting people. Right. 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 And the people that, you know, gave life to you, uh, are supposed to take care of you and guide you. Um, (laughs) if you can't trust them, you know, Mm -hmm. you have a, you know, start out, you know, pretty hard. It's like, how can I trust anybody else? Strangers. If I can't even trust my, you know, my family members. And in the field that we work in, we we've run into guys that have said we, we we've linked them up with a pastoral advisor or a counselor, 
And they've just blatantly said, I'm not opening up to this guy. I don't know this guy. Well, I think a lot of it is is like the uh, the kind of walk a mile in my shoes kind of thing. It's like right, and I've heard this from the beginning, and I, you know, I've I've felt this way too. It's like, how can you help me if you can't even understand where I'm coming? Can't identify from? where I've been, right? And I get the whole, you know, you don't need to actually struggle with addiction in order to help somebody. Um, because people either have struggled with some kind of addiction mm-hmm. um, or they have a family member that struggled with some kind of addiction. So you, you can have that experience and you can uh, develop empathy and, and all that. And you can help people. But it's been my experience over the last 14 years that most recovering addicts and alcoholics uh, prefer to talk to somebody that has been through what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. There, there seems to be a, that, that, and I've said this before that, that two of the most powerful words in recovery is me too. And so when you can say that to somebody and they, they get that there's a connection, there's a bond that's created almost immediately that just isn't with somebody who's only book smart only. Right. And the book smart only guy may actually be more beneficial to you, but you're not going to know that you, you're not going to feel that. Like you are with the guy that's been where you've been. Well, and you can develop that, you know, that therapeutic relationship with somebody. Sure. You know, depending on who they are. And it, it will probably take a little longer, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, you can, it can happen. But there are some people that mean well and cause more damage because they just don't have a clue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that some of the information they give people are just, you know. Uh, pretty cut and dry that it's like for an addict, some say, well, I've tried that, you know, just stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just stop? Yeah. You know, pray about it, you know. Um, yeah, those pat answers. Go to church. Are, yeah. Yeah. Go. You know what I mean? It's like, that's great. You need that, but that's just not all that you need. You need to figure out how the those things tie in. You know, reading your Bible, how does how does that lesson that you've read tie into your real life today? Like, how can you apply those principles? So, so loose lips sink ships, confidentiality and support groups. So, our support groups, which are filled with brand new people, as well as old timers, yep. and a mixture of everything in between, is the support group setting necessarily a wise place to be be transparent i believe it is and it's very you know it's it's probably one of the most therapeutic places because we talk about you know in in recovery that you know the more that you talk about an issue the less power it has over you yeah and so going to meeting i mean i know for myself you know i can speak for myself going to meetings every day for almost two years, you know, you're going to cover every topic there is. You bet. And so if I'm sharing about, you know, something and how it affects me, then it loses its power over me. It has, it has no control over me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I let it go and, you know, whatever it is, good or bad, that, you know, uh, whatever I was going through that day, good or bad, I let it go and it's done and I, and I have it, I'm at peace. I noticed, uh, 
in the beginning, I would tend to listen more, right? Because I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. Yeah, yeah. Right? I don't know, I don't know how to live life on life's terms without some kind of chemicals in my system, legal or illegal. Sure. Right? And so um, all I know is that, you know, someone told me, you know, or a bunch of people told me, you know, uh, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, you know, which I'm, you know, if that works and more must be better, right? right. <laughs> Good addict mentality. Yeah. 90, yeah. But it's, you know, read the material, uh, right? get a sponsor, work the steps, go help someone else, you know, actually put that stuff in, you know, uh, I was diligent about putting that into practice in my life every single day. And that was my my goal for the entire year, that first year, is that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Even if it, I didn't feel like going or if I didn't feel like doing it, it's like, no, in order for me to change, you know, the old, the, if you, the only thing you have to change is everything. I have to do this because if I don't do it, what do I, a year is nothing. Right. I mean, right. In, in the grand scheme of things, a year is nothing. It really so is. So if I do this yeah. to, uh, that was my thing. Is like if I do this to the best of my ability for a year, and if my life doesn't change, then I can always go back to doing what I was doing. You know, it's interesting too because because people that that chuckle, and I've been guilty of that. Ninety meetings in ninety days. Don't drink or use in between meetings. Blah 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 blah. Work the steps or die. You know all that kind of stuff. One day at a time. Yeah, all, all the cliches, all the little things on the walls, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's interesting to me people that seriously laugh at that stuff. I don't mean just chuckle like like we all do a little bit, but seriously poo-poo that whole thing. The only people that do that are people that aren't willing to try it. Right. They say, oh, that's ridiculous. And then well, they haven't done, never done it to the best of their ability, so it hasn't worked. And so they can say, right. see, it didn't work. Well, you didn't do it to the best of your ability. Because I can guarantee if you do how the program's laid out to the best of your ability and you have a, a sponsor that is actually work the steps and they have a sponsor that's worked the steps that, you know, guide you through the whole thing there. You can't, you can't fail. The only thing that I would change uh, for what I did is I added service work in there. And so, I mean, uh, on top of the meetings every day for almost two years, I was also doing service commitments, you know, and some of it was chairing a meeting or, you know, uh, at my church or in the community or something, something that was going yeah. on. So um, you were plugged in, but you, were, you weren't just attending in order for, for me, what I needed to do, cause my big thing was isolation. So in order for me to do the opposite of that, change everything, right. I have to get out there and do something. Right. And, and so I found that, you know, intensive work with other people in recovery will almost guarantee my sobriety. And so yeah. that's what I did. It's like, this is, I mean, why would I not? Why would I stop doing this? Yeah, just because I yeah. worked the steps all the way through. No, I, should I stop? Right. It's like no. It's like if I want to get with anything else, if I if I want to stay good at it, I have to keep practicing. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that would include practicing being transparent. Right, and, and so and, and, I and confession. I the my big thing was when I talked. I talked a little bit about you know listening more in the beginning because I wanted to feel out and see what, you know, this whole thing was about and how open people were going to be. But I learned that, um, 
if I again, if I tell my story, mm-hmm. um, it loses the negative stuff loses its power. The positive things help someone else. Yeah, and nobody can use it against me if I'm telling it. Right, right. How the heck can you use it it's against me? It's out there. <laughs> like, well, so and so, blah blah. I'm like, yeah. What's your point? It's great. All it, that says is something negative about you if you're out there gossiping. Yeah. Yeah, and let's let's touch on that in a minute about the the people that are the loose lips, but, but let me read you something. I found this. This is uh, uh, this is called and the wisdom to know the difference: confidentiality versus privilege in the self help setting by Jessica G. Weiner or Weiner Weiner. I think it's <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jessica. Um, on New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty eight, Paul Cox drank beer. Um, at a bar called Gary's Barleycorn in New Rochelle, New York. On the way home, he was involved in a car accident and walked two and a half miles to the house where he used to live with his parents. He broke in, got a knife from the kitchen, went up to the bedroom where his mother and father once slept, murdered um, both of them. Cox still nothing. Uh, Cox stole nothing. He just slashed the throats of the two innocent victims. Cox then went to his parents' house in Larchmont, New York, and went to sleep. When he woke up, he remembered nothing from the night before. The police found fingerprints at the scene, but since Cox had never been arrested, there was nothing to match. Four years later, Cox joined Alcoholics Anonymous. It is part of the 12 steps of the AA process uh, and NA process to search for somebody and start telling them your past to admit guilt. At the time, Cox was rooming with a young man and woman, both AA members. He told them and other AA members that he dreamed he had committed a crime. Later, he said that he believed he had done it, but he had no real recollection of the night. He remembered finding a bloody knife and throwing it in the water. One member of AA went to the police via uh, inter something or other, I can't even pronounce it, uh, but another AA member went to the police. That member gave the names of other AA members who had been privy to the information and informed the police that Cox had been having dreams or dream fragments of killing these people. Cox was charged with double homicide in 1993. In June 1994, seven AA members were compelled by a subpoena to testify. Judge Coway, the preceding judge, refused to allow the AA members to claim a privilege as an extension of either the priest penitent or the spousal privileges. Instead, he held that New York law does not extend a testimonial privilege to self-help groups. Although the AA members maintained that they were bound by AA principles to protect Cox's confidences, all seven were ordered to testify. They were not required to disclose their full names and no press pictures of the seven witnesses were allowed. The trial resulted in a deadlock. <clears throat> Excuse me. All but one woman who held out for a lesser manslaughter charge voted to convict for second degree murder. On December 6, 1994, after the second trial, Cox was convicted of manslaughter. The jury found that Cox had been affected by extreme emotional disturbance. The defendant admitted to the killings but claimed he had done so in an alcoholic blackout. Uh, numerous self-help groups have expressed outrage at the ruling. AA has not taken an official stand on the decision because of its desire to remain focused solely on the problem of alcoholism without taking political stance on outside issues. Wow. Right? So the guy joins AA, 
he confesses what he first he says it was a dream. Then he confesses right. that he, he really does believe he did it. Right. And his anonymity is blown. Right. Um, now, these aren't these weren't doctors. These weren't clinicians. Right. These were just other AA members. And somebody went to the police. Right. What are your thoughts about that? What do you want me to say? I well, mean, I mean, because I, I, I know listeners are going, some people are going, yep, that's what they should have done. Other ones are going, no, they had no business doing that. What do you think? Well, it, you know, everybody's got their own uh, set of morals and values to live by. Right. And so this person that went and told the police, um, they felt that they had the right. They did. An obligation yeah. to uh, mention it to the police. Okay. I don't, I I don't know if I see anything wrong with that. I probably would have told the person to go talk to a counselor to, mm -hmm. you know, right. Get some counseling because you know, they what if it was just a dream? Sure. It, you know, what if it was, uh, something that maybe yeah. was inputted in his brain when he was intoxicated that felt like it was real. I mean, it, Obviously, it, it turned out to be real, right? You know. Yep, yep. So, so I, I may, uh, I may make a lot of enemies right now, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You go for it, man. All right. The law always trumps the traditions, right? And that I agree. Is, that is written in AA and NA service literature. Yeah. We are to obey the laws of the land. They always trump the traditions. So if I've been given information that you've committed a crime, right? Right. And now I know that, guess what the law says I am? I'm privy to that. If if I don't report it, I'm guilty of breaking the law. So the laws trump the traditions. I have a moral obligation, at least in the United States, that if I know you have murdered somebody... Right. I have a moral obligation at the very least to go to you and say, you know, you need to you need to turn yourself in. Because I am forced by law mm. now that I know this to report it. Right. Well, um and we don't know the person that actually went and Yeah, they reported don't they it. don't give any Are, were they you know, what did they do for a living? Were they a mandated reporter? They could have been. Because in a situation like that, you know, depending on how much information they had, I mean, they're obligated to go and, and yep. tell somebody. Yep. I mean, it's like if someone tells, you know, uh, one of us, is, if there's right. suspicion of child abuse, you know, uh, we have to make a call. We have to make Even a call. Even if it's anonymous, you have, to, you have to make that call. And it doesn't matter if the person we're working with is a 12-step member, and we're a 12-step member. That doesn't matter. That becomes secondary. It doesn't even matter if they say, please don't tell anybody. It doesn't. It doesn't. And so... I tell it, people right up front, first time I meet with them, I say, this is... This I do is, too. This is the way it goes. You know, I'm bound by confidentiality that, you know, I have to report these things. And chances are... <clears throat> With the amount of recovery support meetings out there and the and the tremendous amount of population in those meetings, chances are somebody in your meeting is going to be a mandated reporter or 
somebody's going to feel obligated by law right. to to I mean you know so so you, yeah I, I'm not saying don't say it but <clears throat> people need to use some wisdom when they're transparent right well that that comes down to uh, one of, one of the points I wanted to make is you you just need to be careful like if you don't want something out there don't or say you it. don't if there's something that you you know you have questioned about right. Um, don't put it out there. It's like doing your fist step with somebody that's not obligated down by confidentiality. It, unless you are willing to take that chance, don't do it because you know all bets are off if there's no protection in there. Um, and at some point, I know for myself, you know, I'm pretty open book, and you know, I, I'm pretty open about my my experience, uh, strength, and hope, and so I'm. I'm not afraid to talk about things. There's certain things that right. I don't talk about because, yeah. you know, it, it isn't really necessary. And again, you know, there's certain things that there's some that people may, you know, want to gossip about, which mm-hmm. I find ridiculous. So there's certain things I just don't, there's, there's no need to talk about. Sure. And, you know, a lot of schools will, as counselors are going in for, for training is that you don't disclose anything about yourself, you know, so that you don't, you know, that potentially open up the door for something, mm-hmm. somebody to do something against mm-hmm. you or whatever. Right. You know? um, with my, with, uh, as far as I go, I don't know how to counsel without sharing or relating an experience so the other person feels yeah more comfortable yeah. about sharing some of the deep, dark secrets right. that they have. Right, right. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't share everything. They don't need to No, you know? Right. Right. Um, and I have like, I'm like you though. I mean, when you're transparent and it's out there, nobody can hold it against you. I mean, I, right. I've got, I've got my personal story of experience, strength and hope. It's on YouTube. It's online. It's been, it's been broadcast. It's been published. There's been magazines that it's in there. There is uh there's a couple of recovery newspapers that it's been in and it's like, there it is. You know, it, it, right. it is so absolutely freeing. You know, when when my wife and I were dating, uh, and I, I'm not suggesting everybody does this, but I was an open book. I, say, I mean, when we started getting serious about is this relationship going to move forward, right? looking at possibly marriage as a goal, you're going to have to know some things about me because I don't want any surprises coming up. And I just laid it on the line, you know, and she right. was like, well, that's that's an, an interesting life. <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but there's no secrets. Right. Well, I found I had this I had an, uh, an interesting experience. So, uh, again, like, you know, just to reiterate is like you don't share something that you don't. Sure. That you aren't. If you don't want it out there, if you better not share if, it. If you're concerned about something, get Going out and someone making fun of you, then then keep it to yourself until you're if you're ready, and maybe you'll never be ready. I don't know, but I find that in order for myself, in order to be free, I have to let it out. I have to talk about it. I have to share it because then it also uh, lowers other people's you know walls and enables them to right. start sharing things that they wouldn't maybe nor- normally share. Um, and maybe they just share it with me and that's okay. But I mean, I, 
you know, even when I'm in meetings, it just lets people know that it's okay. And I had one time, uh, I remember that some guy came up afterwards and said, thank you. He says, I tell mm-hmm. you, I wasn't planning on coming to this meeting today. Uh, I was planning on going and killing myself. I think, wow. I've shared, I think I've shared this before. Yeah. And, uh, he said, uh, you know, listening to your, to your, your story and, and, uh, a couple other people's, and now I, f- I feel like I have some hope. And you know, that's powerful, man. That's powerful yeah. stuff. I gave him my card, and away he went. And he, he contacted me, uh, and I was probably a year or two later, you know, and said, Hey, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I have your card in my wallet. I said, You're calling because you need help. Oh, that's right. You said, I know right. why you're calling me. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so he, you know, he got sober for a while, and I don't, he kind of fell off the map. I don't know what ever happened to him, but just that. That one situation or two situations, however you want to look at it, um, changed my whole recovery. It's like, you know, if you have the opportunity to have somebody share something like that with you, I mean, at least for me, it, it made everything worth worth it. Yeah. So then I was able to share, you know, whatever uh, and be available when everybody, when anybody wanted to, to talk. Um but I remember this uh, talking about you know uh, confidentiality groups. I was at uh, oh where we were at a grapevine meeting. You know we read the the, the grapevine book and then right. broke up and talked about it. And uh, in this group, that the one group that I was part of that night, there was uh, several students from the high school. And they were sitting in on the meeting. They were in this meeting. Yeah. 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 And, you know, um, so it was an open meeting. One of them, you know, asked me, are you, you know, are you so-and-so's dad? And I said, I said, yeah, why? She goes, oh, just, just wondering, (laughs) you know, and then, uh, okay. Uh, so I thought to myself, I'm not going to change anything I do. I'm still going to be the same person in this meeting, knowing that this person goes these people go to school with my daughter. My daughter, yeah. And uh, uh, so I, you know, shared like I normally share and whatever the topic was, I don't even remember. But the next day, um, they like blabbed it to all the kids at the school and talked to my daughter. And they go, wow. They said, hey, we saw your dad at a meeting last night. <laughs> and she's like, she's awesome. Because my kids are all, you know, trained from just, yeah, living you know the yeah. life right we had been in recovery. They're like, "What's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, you know what setting group is supposed to stay in group?" I'm like, "I'm like, she's saying that to she's them. saying that to That's these. Great. There's anonymity, and you're not, you know what? Uh, blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Yeah." When she <laughs> when she came back and told me the story, she was like, "She's like, yeah, and." Right, because yeah, right. they're, they're they're thinking, right. oh, we got this big juicy story. Right, you know, your dad's in in, in a meeting, and it's like she's like, yeah, and right, she goes, that just says something bad about you that you're going to go around here, go around school and blab it. Well, I mean, what do you? Tr- what's the point? What are you trying to? Yeah, you know, that's accomplish? great. Yeah, it was great. That is a great story. And, you know, proud father moment. Uh, I'll bet. <laughs> so my two boys, uh, yeah, they. From the time they were old enough to basically hang out with me at a meeting, at an open meeting, they came with me. Yeah. 
And my oldest son, heck, he started collecting chips. You know, hey, I've I, I've never drank. I haven't had a drink. I mean, I I never started, but I haven't had a drink for thirty days because I've never had one. Right. He started collecting them, That's you know. Funny. And uh, so he's got a, he's got a bunch. It still hasn't drank to this day. Um, talk about preventive maintenance. Wow, you yeah, know, because my, we know the genetic component is right. very possible. Uh, yeah, so I included him. So there wasn't any secrets with them either. Yeah, my youngest daughter went to uh, went to meetings with me. Uh huh. All all meetings, no one even questioned it. Right. You know. Now right. I've heard, I hear stories of people are like, "Oh yeah, someone told me to get a get a sitter." I'm like, "Well, you know, you gotta you gotta find a different meeting because there's you know, if you're lucky enough, you got somebody that can watch the kids while you're in the meeting. Right. But but some people don't. Sometimes that that, that doesn't happen. And you know? you know what? If you got to get to a meeting, it, I'm telling you. I would I would rather a bunch of people get uncomfortable because your two year old is with you than you not go to a meeting, right? And then we read about you in the newspaper, right? Well, you know, so my daughter got to hear all kinds of. She actually went on an intervention with me one time too. Oh, did she? Wow. Yeah, because me and my uh, it was a period in, in my life where me and my wife were separated. We lived about I you don't know a couple miles apart, and mm-hmm. I, I had my youngest daughter every other week, and so when she was with me. You know, I went to meetings every day, so she went to meetings with me when she was with me. Part of it, in the you know, at least I know in the beginning was uh, she wanted to make sure that I was doing what I said I was doing because I would say I was going somewhere, yeah, and I'd come back loaded, or yeah. I wouldn't come back for you know a yeah. while, or you know, the yeah, next been day, there, done that, yeah, the next day or whatever. Um, so part of it is that she wanted to make sure that. I was going where I said I was going, and then I was coming back. And so that was part of that, you know, she wanted to make sure that, you know, she was with me. And I was like, cool, come on, let's go. Because I wasn't going to give up going to meetings just because I had my daughter. Sure. Um, I mean, that was, a you know, my sobriety is kind of a life and death thing. And I know that I needed to do it. And it was either, you know, come hang out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or go back to your mom's house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was so. I had to put my recovery first. One one of the things that I wanted to mention, and a lot of people don't get this, and I want to make it crystal clear, because uh, this this confidentiality thing kind of it intermingles with the whole anonymity tradition and all that, yep. right? And so <clears throat> in in. In your mainstream 12-step fellowships, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, like that, right? Um, That it it states that our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion, right? And it's also we we all need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of praise rating on films. So – it's per, our public relations personal policy. anonymity. Personal anonymity, right? yep. um, but it's our public relations policy. It's not our personal stories. It's right. our public relations policy that's based on attraction rather than promotion. Right? Not our personal stories. And people get that confused, and they think they can't tell their story of their recovery because of a tradition, and they're misreading the tradition. Right. Well, that just comes from a lot. A lot of years of a lot of people right. misinterpreting and then sharing that with others that as a fact. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I hear stories all the time about, you know, how people just off the charts. I'm like, okay, so where does it say that in yeah. the AA big book? Right. Where does it tell you that that's the way it is? Yeah, there's well, nowhere, nowhere that says you're not to share your personal story. And when when the when the DVD anonymous people came out, I the, have that. I do too. <laughs> the outrage that I was hearing from people who hadn't even watched it, right? right. It was cracking me up. You know, and it's it's like I'm not watching people say, uh, my name is so-and-so and I represent Alcoholics Anonymous or I represent Narcotics Anonymous and I'm here speaking for the fellowship. Nobody said that. People were sharing their personal stories. It, it's time. Look, at the number one health crisis in our world is addiction. That's And it gets the least amount of, of attention due to stigma. Right, Dave? Yes. The sti- How do you break stigma? You bring it out into the daylight. You, you share your experience, strength, and hope. You know, never once in almost 16 years of broadcasting have I ever said that I was a member of any particular 12-step fellowship. We have a disclaimer in the beginning of the show right? that we're not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And yet, I've had people throw me under the bus and say, oh, you're breaking all these traditions. Because they don't understand the traditions. They don't listen to the show and and that kind of thing. So, listen, it would do you well (laughs) if you're in a 12-step fellowship to learn about the written word of the fellowship. Learn about it. Read the traditions. They're in their entirety. Read the information pamphlets. Right. Plug yourself into these things because you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of stuff and you're gonna think it's gospel, and it's baloney. Go learn the history. Go learn the history. Yeah, check it out before you sail. <laughs> right. Our, our our society these days has kind of gotten way out of hand. You know, we just live by sound bites. Yeah. And whatever. Right. If it's on the news, it must be true. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But whose truth is it? Yeah. Uh, sorry, don't get me started. So so share with us a little devotional truth here. What you got there, buddy? Well, this basically is a, uh, covers what we've been talking about, about how much information hmm. uh, is uh, you should share and what the consequences are if you share too much. Mm. Good. Right? Good. But on the other hand... There's gossip out there, right? Because a lot of times we get, uh, you know, we we get arrested, right? Yeah, and it's blasted all over. Uh, you bet. Facebook now these days. Oh sure. And you know the local newspaper. The county jail has a Facebook page. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, and it's you know it's it's a one sided story. It's like this person was arrested for blah 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 blah, right? Uh, so. Uh, January 21st, loose lips sink ships, right? He he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Ooh. You know where that's from? That's from the Bible. Prior, Proverbs 13.3. Yeah. Uh, confidentiality and support groups is very important. It's hard for some people to keep something secret or confidential. For some... The thrill of knowing a secret is telling it to someone else, mm. right? Mm-hmm. God warns us that sharing too much can get us into trouble. Ben's experience illustrates this. 
He came to uh, counseling to deal with his anger and despair over a situation that happened to him. His wife left him and his children were taken away from him because she accused him of sexually abusing the children. Ben was innocent and was proven so by the court. Uh, by then, however, a lot of damage had been done to his reputation and his relationship with his children was affected. Word about Ben's situation was quickly to spread around town and to his friends. Many people didn't know if they could truly trust him after all the accusations. It's important to think about the information we give to another, to give to others. Are there some things we say about other people that are better left unsaid? And it says, God help me to choose my words wisely and honestly. And what a simple prayer. God help me to choose my words wisely and honestly. And if you if you ask, he'll he'll do that for you. Right. Yeah. We constantly I'm constantly, you know, redirecting people about the whole you know, that's just another way of talking about gossip. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they just don't get it, you know. Talking about somebody without them being there to be able to, you know, it's gossip. Even even if it's positive, right? Right, because you don't know that that person wants you to share that. What if what if I, you know, won twenty five thousand dollars and you and I said, listen, I don't want anybody knowing this right now. I got to figure out. With my financial advisor, what I'm going to do, please don't share this. And then you go, guess what? Monty won 25000 That's why you don't tell anybody, Monty. I know. Well, if I win $25,000, I would probably be guilty from shouting it from the rooftops. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've never even won $2 on a scratch it, man. I haven't even got that lucky. <laughs> wow. I know. That's pretty sad, right? Of course, you got to buy one to win anything. So, right, <laughs> Dave, this has been a good show. This Always good. is. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, our closing song is by Richie Supa. It's called "Last House on the Block." I had a last house on the block. Right? Isn't there a movie about that? There wasn't there a movie called that. I think there was. Last House on the Left or something. Something like that. Is it a horror movie? Yeah. Okay, that's what I figured. <laughs> All right, so uh, thank you, everybody. Listen, uh, here's our lineup. So the first Monday of the month is the uh, Victory Report with Arizona uh, Teen Challenge, Teen Challenge of Arizona, uh, folks from uh, that organization sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Second Monday of the month is the Great Reality, the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show with uh, Denver. Sometimes Dave pops in, uh, Tony and Marv. And the third Monday of the month is uh, uh, confidentiality. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. Yes. Entitled to Overcome Solutions for Life Today with uh, the vid, Dave Fleming. And uh, the fourth Monday of the month, I take off, usually. <laughs> um, and so, where do you go? Huh? Um, I usually go wherever I want. <laughs> It's your 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 day of rest. My day of rest. Yes. So uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, we welcome comments on our Podomatic page, on our YouTube channel, and at, on our email take twelve radio at comcast dot net. Here is Mr. Richie Supa with his song "Last House on the Block."
Well, I picked up some bad habits And they kept me running hard I went against my better judgment I even turned my back on God On the streets I met my demons And they dragged me down the drain With another shot of something Just to get me past the pain Yeah, the door is always open When the devil needs a fix So you burn another 50 you ain't got And you drift into the darkness Till your dreams have all been crushed You're in so deep, there's no way you can stop Welcome, yeah, welcome to the last house on the block He put another nail in his coffin In some roach-infested room Where he thought he found the answers With a needle and a spoon Yeah, the door is always open When the devil needs a fix So you shove another 50 through the slot And you drift into the darkness Till your dreams have all been crushed In a junkie's world, it's all you really got Welcome, yeah, welcome To the last house on the block And it's hell disguised as heaven Where the angels fear to go It's a place Mr. 
Mr. Richie Supa with his song, Last House on the Block. For more information about Richie and the incredible work he is doing for the recovery community, visit recoveryunplugged.com. And until next time, this is the Monty Man and the Tank 12 Recovery Radio family reminding you that because of God's grace, you are entitled to overcome. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.